I want to take your Bibles out and, uh, well, just get them out. I've got all kinds of verses here we're going to look at today. And uh, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell you where we're going to go in each one. So this is the final Sunday in our series on worship. And uh, we're going to talk today. Well, last week we talked about uh, communion as worship. Today we're going to talk about baptism as worship. And um, <clears throat> the definition that I've been using for worship these weeks has been that worship is applauding God for who he is and what he's done, praises and thanksgiving that are sung, prayed, and done. So two weeks ago we talked about obedience. In other words, it's one thing to stand here on a Sunday morning, raise our hands and praise God for all that he's done and how glorious he is, and then live a life in rebellion and disobedience to him. What Jesus say that his father said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So, you know, we can praise the Lord with our lips, but obedience is the confirmation that true worship is coming uh, from our hearts. And so then again, last week we talked about communion, and today we'll, we'll wrap up with uh, baptism. Now, if you have a broad enough exposure to uh, different churches, you know that people baptize differently. And it's important for you to know this for a story I'm about to tell you. So some people baptize by immersion. That's what we do. Uh, you go under completely. Uh, some people baptize by pouring. So I was baptized uh, in the Mennonite church when I was a boy. And they poured water over my head. And the deacon stood there in a little pitcher and poured some water over her head. And then if you're Presbyterian uh, or Methodist, uh, Catholic and so forth, you would be sprinkled, you know, just a little bit of water. So there was this uh, son of a Baptist pastor. He's five years old. And he saw uh, baptismal service for the first time. He saw his daddy baptize these people by immersion. And he went home and he decided, as uh, sons and daughters often want to do, they want to emulate their parents. And so he decides that he's going to do some baptisms. Now in their house, there were four cats. Three of them were half-grown kittens. And so Tommy filled the bathtub with water and then he went to get the kittens and he brought them back and he plunged them underneath the water and they were <laughs> sputtering and, and kind of protesting a little, but he got them all accomplished. The one cat that was left was an old tomcat it had a mind of his own. And so when Tommy went to get the, the tomcat, brought it into the water, and the tom saw the water, knew things were not going to go well from here. And so he's scratching and clawing at Tommy, and Tommy's trying desperately to get him down to the water, and all of a sudden, off he goes. Big scratch marks up Tommy's arm. So he went out, he's frustrated now. He went out, chased the cat down, brought him back to the tub of water and he's getting him down to the water again and he's, he's now some water splashing up on the cat. But again, the cat scratches him on the arms and takes off for the kitchen. And by now Tommy's had it. He says, fine, if you wanna be a Methodist, just fine. <laughs> no offense to those of you who are Methodists. But I do want to make a case this morning for believers' baptism and its importance. And one of the things I've been convicted about um, as I've been working on this message, it's God's been rumbling in my spirit for the last two years probably, um, is not 
highlighting baptism the, the way I should. Um, last year when we were in North Africa with our friends, the week before we got there, um, this is an Islamic uh, country, there were five people that uh, our friends and their church baptized. One of them was a 17-year-old young man whose father told him, if you continue with this Jesus following until you're 18 years old, you have till you're 18 to make, make your decision. If you're still committed to Jesus by then, uh, you must leave our house and I'm going to disown you. One of the other people that they baptized was a woman, a wife and a mother, two children. And her husband was in the process of divorcing her because she was a follower of Jesus. In many parts of the world, if you are a Christian and you get baptized, that's, that, that's the line of demarcation. That's where everything, that's where you call a spade a spade and, and there's no longer any wiggle room for people that are, are looking at you, people that know you and watch you. We want to talk this morning about why we believe in believer's baptism and why we do it by immersion the timing and the type of baptism, in other words. And we have here at Keystone, we have 10 statements of faith. If you go on our website to see what we believe, um, you find there what we believe about um, God, about the Bible, about Jesus, about salvation, the Holy Spirit, church, uh, the end, end, of, end times. But we discovered a number of years ago, well, there's a lot of things that we believe and teach and stand for that aren't included in that statement of faith, which is an evangelical free church statement of faith. And so we came up with 12, um, what we call Keystone Church positions or secondary positions that speak about things that we think are really important as well, truths that we hold to, truths that we teach, but some of which uh, don't, you don't necessarily have to believe to be a member here at Keystone, but which we uh, teach and you can't teach anything in a, in a care group or in a Sunday school class that is in opposition to this, that. And so we, we address things like uh, politics, what's the church to get involved in or what are the limits regarding pol politics. Uh, we have statements on homosexuality. We have statements on unity and division in the church. We talk about divorce and remarriage. And we have a, a, a statement on baptism and here it is. While we do not require baptism for church membership, we encourage believers to be baptized by immersion as soon as possible after conversion. We believe that immersion is how the early church baptized and best displays our co-death, co-burial, and co-resurrection with Christ, Romans 6, 3, and 4. <clears throat> Nevertheless, we also regard a baptism done by pouring or sprinkling as valid as long as it was done after conversion. We encourage believers who were baptized as infants to be rebaptized, since Jesus' baptism is only for those who can choose to become his disciples, Matthew 28, 19, and no baby can. And so I want to ask you a couple questions this morning to ponder as we go through this. One, are you a Christian? And if you're not, that's the most important thing. We, we would pray that even this morning that God would open the blinders of your eyes so that you could see the light of the gospel, the glory of which is Christ. But if you are a Christian, then my following question is, how long have you been a Christian? And then the question following that, have you been baptized since you've become a follower of Jesus? And the last question, if not, 
Why not? So let's pray, and then we're going to look at some scriptures. Father, thank you for the work of grace that has been done in so many of our lives through Jesus Christ. How merciful you have been in giving him to us and saving us by his work. And some of our our churches, and I hope that we're among that group, we preach the gospel, we preach the gospel, we preach the gospel, and we emphasize, we emphasize, we emphasize that it is the work of Christ that saves us. As we talked about last week, when we celebrate communion, the only elements of it on the table are ones that remind us of the work Christ has done. There's nothing on the table to speak about anything that we have done. All we've done is sign our name at the bottom of the paper. And perhaps I wonder if that in emphasizing that, we have neglected in some ways to emphasize our response. And if that's the case, I would plead that you would um, bring balance to our teaching And especially as we talk about the matter of baptism this morning, I pray that Christians here who haven't been baptized or perhaps haven't been baptized uh, since they've uh, said, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, that would consider what their response would be to your um, unrestrained um, rescue of us. In other words, you didn't ask for us to do something. Jesus went to the cross while we were yet sinners. Um, to say, well, what should our response be to that? And I pray that the Holy Spirit would be the teacher. I I don't want to say something or say it in a way that's not from your heart, Lord, so I pray that you would um, speak through me when you can and in spite of me when you must and that uh, our hearts would be open and pliable to hear from you this morning. I pray against the enemy who hates you. He hates Uh, obedience to you and so I pray that you would muzzle him uh, for our time together this morning in Jesus name amen I want to ask and answer three questions this morning Uh, and the first one is why get baptized why get baptized it's been interesting over the years I've had conversations with people um, they, they don't really understand why they should be baptized they think it's like I'm saved kind of end of story and, um, and, and we are not a Baptist church, capital B, and denominationally, we're the Evangelical Free Church of America, but we are Baptistic, and a small b, in that we believe that the Bible teaches we should be baptized. Uh, maybe before I start to answer question of why get baptized, I, I want to a- ask a question that's not asked, and that is why, um, what baptism doesn't do, uh, it things that it doesn't do that sometimes people think it does. Um, I've had all kinds of interesting conversations over the years. Um, I asked a person, I I think I shared a story before when I was in Israel, um, uh, this little girl wanted me to baptize her at the Jordan River. She's like 10 or 11 years old. I'm like, why do you want to get baptized? And she said, I want to become a better person. I'm like, that's not why you get baptized. There's all kinds of things that people think about baptism, kind of looking from at it from a distance and some think that baptism saves and there are some churches that teach that 
what we call baptismal regeneration, the, the idea that in the waters of baptism, you're actually regenerated, you're actually born, regenerated, you're born again. This would be what the Catholic Church teaches, the Orthodox, Lutherans, Church of Christ, although they're trying to back, back away from that. For example, in the Roman Catholic uh, canon law, point 867, it says if, a, if an infant is in danger of death, it is to be baptized without delay. Of course, the Catholic Church baptizes infants, but they do that because they believe it's going to save the child. And if the child is, you know, sickly, you want to get them baptized quickly to make sure that they're saved and that they can go to heaven. And there are a couple of scriptures, in fairness, there are a couple of scriptures that seem to suggest that baptism does in some way play a role in salvation. 1 Peter 3.21 is probably the most notorious one. It's speaking about the flood of Noah and the waters, of course, that covered the earth and, and killed people. And, it's, and Peter says uh, it is, this is, that these waters are a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Now, we don't have time to unpack all these verses. I think there's evidence even in the text that he's not saying that the water itself saves you. But there are verses like that that can be drawn out that if taken alone could suggest that baptism can, can be salvific. It can save a, a person. But this interpretation wouldn't square with the entire tenor of the New Testament. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it's by grace you have been saved through baptism, and this not of yourselves. Some of you are smiling. That's not what it says. For you have been saved by grace through, through faith. You've been saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast about it. And so you don't get baptized to be saved. You don't get baptized to become a better person. You don't get baptized even necessarily to become a, a member of the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the church universal. But we do get baptized for a number of other reasons. One, probably first and foremost, because Jesus said to. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Verses 19 and 20. Matthew 28, <clears throat> Jesus, shortly before he went back to his father, after he was raised from the dead, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Now, the main verb in this text is... Um, Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And then there are two participles. One, baptizing, and two, teaching. In other words, as you're going and making disciples, baptize these new disciples and teach them everything I've commanded you. Now, no one would think that we would go uh, to a place like Uganda or a place like the Philippines or a place like Pakistan and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and not teach them to obey everything that the scriptures say. But we might not think, oh, and we should baptize them, but we should baptize them. Jesus says, I want you to teach them everything that they need to uh, obey me about, but also to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So one, we get baptized because Jesus said to get baptized. And just as a footnote there, Jesus seems to be portraying this uh, baptism following this person becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. So there's, there's no evidence there that that wouldn't be a reference to infants, to children. 
We'll get into more of that detail in a bit. Second reason to get baptized is because the apostles said so. So Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has fallen on the day of Pentecost. And the people, if you remember the story, people are speaking in tongues. Uh, There are like things like tongues of fire seem to be hovering over the New, over the Christians there on that day and uh, there's, all, there's all kinds of commotion so much so that it gets the attention of all these people that are in town to celebrate Pentecost which is a Jewish, a Jewish feast and they're there from all over the world literally speaking all kinds of languages but they all gather to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem where they, sh- where they should as good Jewish people and all this commotion captures their attention and Peter you know, there's never a record of Peter preaching a single sermon in the Gospels, not once. And yet here on this day, he preaches to literally thousands of people and the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of the hearers that day and, and, and they're like, they're convicted and they're like, We're, we, what should we do now? You've convinced that it was wrong to kill Jesus Christ. You've convinced us that he is the Messiah and that he is raised from the dead. What should we do? And Peter says in verse 38, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. That's the essence of the gospel. Turn from sin and turn to God, faith in Jesus Christ, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so the apostles, wherever they went, would have people be baptized. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, and Paul doesn't sound like he baptized hardly anybody. But they would establish churches wherever they went, and they would be, uh, if they were on the ball, they would be appointing elders in each of those churches, and so it was likely that those elders were doing the baptisms there. But they were baptizing wherever they went. They were baptizing whenever they led people to Christ, and they were baptizing wherever they established churches. So we get baptized because Jesus said to, the apostles said to, and because Jesus did. Fascinating to me. Matthew chapter 3. Because when we have people get baptized, we have them talk about um, repenting of their sins and turning from sin and turning to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're like, well, wait a minute. Jesus didn't sin, did he? Did he? You can talk here. No, Jesus didn't sin. Tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So why did he get baptized? And uh, John the Baptist couldn't figure it out either. Verse 13, Matthew 3. And then Jesus went from Galilee to the uh, Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. And so John agreed to baptize him. Now, if you have a more literal translation, uh, this is New Living Translation, uh, ESV, uh, New King James, NASB, it will probably say, Jesus said this must be done to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. Now, people sometimes when they look at that say like, oh, Jesus must have been unrighteous. He needed to become righteous. No, 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 no. Righteousness is doing all that pleases God. Righteousness is doing all that pleases God. And Jesus wanted to go under the waters of baptism to please his father, to fulfill all righteousness. And what was the, what was the pleasure that, that God wanted? Why did God want his son to do this? 
Why would it give him pleasure? And I think there's three reasons for that. One, so that Jesus could identify with the sinners that he was dying for. That he could identify, even though he wasn't a sinner, he was going to die for sinners. He was going to bear their sin on his shoulders. And so in baptism, just as he wants others to follow him to be baptized, he's going to identify with those sinners. The writer of the Hebrews says in 2.17 that Jesus had to be made in every way just like those that he was going to die for so that he could die for them. So one, to identify with sinners and sinners of all kinds. Secondly, I think to preview his future death and resurrection. And it's interesting that in Luke 12.50, he speaks about his coming suffering as a baptism. And he's burdened by, he says, I have this terrible baptism to undergo and I'm, I'm burdened until it actually comes to pass. And so baptism for Jesus was a preview of his coming death and resurrection. And I think lastly, he did it to please his father as a way to say to us, to you and to me and all of us here, imitate me, imitate me. So these are some reasons why I think we get baptized. He said, well, Keith, I'm, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. I grew up in a Catholic church or a Reformed church, Orthodox church. Why do you say that baptism is just for believers? I was baptized as an infant. Because if Jesus is saying that when we decide to follow him, we become disciples of him, if that's the time to get baptism, baptized, then it seems that he's saying it follows, always follows faith. So we don't do infant baptism here at Keystone. It is interesting, though, we came out, the free church came out of the Lutheran church. And so there are actually still a few scattered free churches around the country that do still do infant baptism, although I, they do um, not baptismal regeneration. They see it as, I would say, a wet, a wet baby dedication. So we don't do infant baptism here, but we don't break fellowship over it. Um, we do think that baptism should typically follow um, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ because what baptism speaks of is joining Jesus and also of being uh, receiving his cleansing, which comes by faith. It's interesting, historically, if you look back in the history of the Christian church, there's nothing that we can find written about infant baptism until about 205 A.D., so about 170 years after Christ. And the, Tertullian was the church father that wrote about it, but he wrote disapprovingly of it, and he wrote as if it sounds like it's a relatively recent innovation. And then we don't see anything written again until another 200 years when Augustine write, writes about it, and he writes approvingly about it. So it doesn't seem like it was the practice of the early church. Um, the reason that people, and I won't get into the reasons why people do infant baptism, it's kind of a long, um, it's a long, it would be a long explanation, but one thing is that they say there are people who get baptized in the New Testament who get baptized along with their whole households. You remember that? So Acts 16, Lydia and her whole household. The Philippian jailer, same chapter, and his whole household. First uh, Corinthians 1, Paul talks about the household of Stephanus he baptized. The, the, the problem with that is you, there are people here this morning, I could say I baptized their whole household and there's not a child in sight. So Abraham and Sarah, if I would baptize their household, there's, there, there's no 
infants there. Uh, Pam and Sam Fisher, there's no infants there. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of you that I could refer to and say, I baptized you and your whole household and there's no infants in there. So it's an argument from silence. The connection really is through circumcision where folks would say baptism is kind of the new circumcision. It's the mark of the covenant. Again, it's a pretty tenuous relationship in the scriptures. Now, let me talk just briefly about baptism of children. Because if you call me up, as a mother did at the last baptism, and say, my children like to get baptized, and I'll ask how old they are, uh, I would I caution parents. I say, don't rush baptism. Don't rush baptism. And we discourage it up probably before 12, and I baptize children as young as five. I really discourage it. Um, recent years and there's a number of reasons for that one the most important thing is that they they've come to know Christ and you've been watching your children for several years and you see evidence of it and what I mean by evidence of it is that the Holy Spirit has apparently come into their hearts and lives and there there's a growing change in their lives they don't threaten to kill their brother or sister anymore that's a good indicator uh, you, see, you see indications. You're not looking for perfection, but you're looking for authentic change that's not just self-discipline, for example. You're looking for the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And you should watch that child for several years. And if they come to you about baptism, explain what it is. Make sure they understand that it's a picture of what's taken place in Christ. But here, look at it. If you're a parent of a young child, look at it down the road. Think now that your child is 20 years old and they were baptized when they were six or seven or eight years old. Martin Luther is said to fight, have fought sin and the devil by, by reminding himself, I was baptized, I was baptized, I was baptized. In a, in a similar way, it, that child should be able to look back to that baptism having been done after well-formed evidence of transformation. And now that child is 20, they're 20 years old and they're on the run from the Lord. And you have a conversation with me or one of the pastors in the church. And I ask you this question. Is your, was your, is your son or daughter saved? And you say to me, well, they made a profession of faith at seven or they got baptized at seven. And, and, and in other words, they haven't, even, they haven't even been able to develop abstract thinking at that age, to think about a God who you can't see and you can't talk to in the regular way that you talk with people. I'm just saying far better for them to have considered it deeply, considered it thoroughly, given years, several years of evidence of walking with Jesus Christ and then to be baptized and then to be a trajectory that's more like this instead of like this. We don't, refuse to baptize children but we do caution against baptizing them too young someone has said um, that they would be reluctant to baptize uh, anyone who has not been old enough to feel the strong pull of sin and I think there's merit in that secondly uh, we're talking about why is baptism just for believers what my faith is claiming in baptism when you go under the waters of baptism, what are you claiming? One, I believe. I believe. I believe that Jesus died and rose again to save me. And I believe that he has saved me. I believe. 
Secondly, I obey. When I go under the waters of baptism, I'm saying I obey. And baptism is step one for the believer to obey the Lord. And we're also saying I'm committing to obeying Christ in everything. And the third thing that I'm saying in baptism is I belong. I belong. I belong to Jesus and I belong to Christ's body. Again, baptism by the Spirit is something that happens at conversion. We don't see it. We're baptized into the worldwide universal body of Jesus Christ. But when we undergo the waters of baptism, we're saying, I belong to you. You're my family of faith. This is a reason that I discourage people from getting baptized, for example, at, at a church camp. You get saved at camp or, or at a Christian festival and you get, sa- get uh, baptized there. You should be among your fellowship, among your family, when you get baptized so that you can declare, I belong to you. Not just I belong to the worldwide church, I belong to you, to this family. So what my faith is claiming in baptism are things, again, that only, only someone older can, can declare, uh, someone who has consciously made a decision to follow Jesus as opposed to a three, four, five, or eight-day-old child. So this is why we're talking about believer's baptism. And on the flip side of the conversation in baptism, baptism is a conversation. The person getting baptized is saying something, And God is saying something. Colin Smith, the wonderful message on baptism, says, in baptism, God is not silent. I love that statement. What he's claiming in baptism is, one, you have died. (laughs) You have died, Romans 6, verse 7. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So we're saying, God is saying, you have died. You've died to sin but he's also saying you are alive in Christ. You are alive in Christ. You've died, but now you're alive and you're going to live forever. Even the day when the monitor on your heart in the hospital has a straight line, you're alive. And someone has said, I'm gonna be more alive on the day I die than I am now because we're going to be with the Lord for all eternity. God is saying in baptism, we've died. He's saying we are alive. And he is saying, I love this, you are washed. You are washed. You are cleansed. You are, God has taken away in Christ all of your sins. Did any of you sin this week? I don't see hands, but I do see knots. You betcha. Isn't it good to know? That that sin has been washed away, not by the water of baptism, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? And when you get baptized and you go under the water, that's a, that's a picture of that, that cleansing. God is saying in baptism, you have died, and yet you are alive, and you are washed. So, last question. Why baptize by immersion? Why not sprinkling? Why not pouring? Three reasons. One, the early church baptized by immersion. Even people who sprinkle and pour agree that that's the case. And the second reason is kind of combined with that. The word baptize, the Greek word baptize is baptizo, and it simply means to dip 
or to plunge into. Uh, So not a little wet, but uh, a lot wet. And lastly, it depicts best what baptism is supposed to depict. So every time I do a baptism, we read Romans 6, 3, and 4 that says that we have been, uh, we've died with Christ and we've been buried with Christ and we've been raised with Christ. Look at, look at the picture, the dramatization in baptism. We go down under the waters, death and burial. We come up out of the water, the resurrection. I was, uh, some of you know I got saved when I was 25, but I got baptized when I was 11 and that's not the way it's supposed to work. And uh, so I got baptized in the Mennonite church by pouring and I didn't feel like I needed to get baptized uh, again, even though I got saved later in life. But year after year, when I would do baptisms uh, and read this scripture, I'm like, I didn't depict that in my baptism. And I wasn't even saved in my baptism. So about 20 years ago, I got rebaptized here by the, by the elders. And because I wanted to portray that, that union with Christ, that salvation brings to me so that I can be put under the waters of baptism and I'm died and I'm buried with Jesus but then I come up out of the waters and I'm raised to new life with him why baptize by baptize by immersion so just so you're clear you can be a member here at Keystone whether you've been baptized as an infant not baptized at all or baptized uh, by immersion that's, that's the one, probably the one quarrel I have with my denomination. I love the free church. But if I had it to say, I would say, no, 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 we really ought to mandate uh, believers' baptism. But uh, we are part of a voluntary uh, fellowship, autonomous churches. And uh, so that's where, that's where we end up landing. But that doesn't mean that we don't value baptism. That doesn't mean that we don't think you should have believers' baptism. Now, I said we're going to try to ask and answer three questions this morning. And so I've just done that. But I have a question to ask you that only you can answer. And that is, what will you do? If you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ, what will you do? We have a baptism coming up, the Thanksgiving Eve. We always have a Thanksgiving Eve service here at Keystone. And so, wow, that's less than two months away. And maybe you want to think about whether or not you are going to obey Jesus in that. Um, I'm not going to tell you to pray about it because we should never pray about something that God tells us to do from Scripture. We know he tells us to do. We should simply follow in obedience. So I will tell you to think about it and urge you to consider God's call to this act of obedience. Um, if you're here this morning and you're married, my guess is that most of you have a wedding band on or some of you guys have it tattooed on because you almost lost your fingers in machinery already. Um, when, when I do a wedding ceremony, so the couple gives their vows to one another and uh, they make their commitment to each other, their promise to each other, and then they put the wedding bands on. They're not married yet. In other words, the band does not join them in marriage. They're joined in marriage afterwards when I say, by the power invested in me, by the, invested in me, by the state of Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and accordance as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the most important part, I pronounce you husband and wife. Now they're married. 
And yet they go through life with this on their finger. Why? It's a portrayal of their marriage. Every time I look at my wedding band, I'm reminded that I belong to one person and one person only. Every time you look at your wedding band, you're reminded that you belong to one and one only. And every time you look back at your baptism, you're reminded that you belong first and foremost to Jesus Christ above all others. And so again, I leave you with a question. What will you do? Let's pray together. I just find it amazing, Father, that our Savior was baptized. That just strikes me. Didn't need cleansing. Didn't need sins washed away. He he was already in union with you. And yet he said, this must be done to fulfill all righteousness. As we talked about last week, our Savior always wanted to please you always dedicated to please you, only saying what you told him to say, only doing what you told him to do. And we want to be faithful in that way as well. For brothers and sisters here this morning who have not undergone believer's baptism, I I pray that you would prompt them to say, yeah, I, I do, I do want to do that. I know it's kind of weird, it's kind of awkward, right? But, um, Jesus was embarrassed for us when he hung naked on a cross to spill his blood and and to just say, I'm going to put it all in the line for you. Surely we can go through something like this for him and for the the declaration, I I believe and I obey and, and I belong. We love you, Lord. Thank you for cleansing us with the blood of Jesus Christ and for making us new creations. We look forward to the day when we can get home and tell you in full measure just how much we love you and how much we are thankful for. In Jesus' name, amen.